Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Mick, uh, welcome to the Arate Podcast. I think I've known you, what, I guess about three or four years, and uh, this has been a long time coming, but it's fantastic to finally have you here. Uh, why don't we get started just telling the audience, you know, what are you up to at the moment? What's your professional responsibilities? Well, I've, I've actually started my own business after a fairly lengthy sort of corporate career, um, and uh, we, we are, um, the name of my business, Beyond Clarity, promotes unique technology solutions that solve specific uh, uh, sol- uh, problems for businesses in Australia. Um, it, there are a broad range of applications in a range of different industries for my technologies. They're generally uh, unique in, in their, in their uh, outcomes and, and their, their benefits. Um, uh, they're usually at that, uh, they're all pretty well at the uh, early adoption stage, I suppose, mm-hmm. or innovator stage. Uh, and, um, you know, they certainly, uh, we, we, we can be very attached to the technologies we work with because some of them save lives. Um, some of them may help assist what are draconian laws, I would say. Um, some of them will help um, the world become a bit greener and a bit safer. Uh-huh. And so where does Beyond Clarity, uh, that's like the umbrella brand. And so what is the idea that, you know, these products are, you know, what we can, uh, are actually bef- beyond what we can currently see? Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, they all provide clarity in one way or another about a specific issue, and, and, and there's a range of products that do that. And there's mm-hmm. five on on that I that I promote with now. Okay. Um, and the beyond part, I suppose, is one thing I learned about my um, career is that technology. The one there's a couple of guarantees that that it will fail and there will be false positives. Mm-hmm. So the beyond part is about how our business uh, uh, supports our customers in the delivery and actually ensuring they extract the value from that technology, you know, that we sold them. This is what it's going to do for you, that we're there beyond just getting the technology in. We're there to support you right through the journey. Oh, fantastic. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are probably uh, in executive roles and have always loved that romantic idea about going out and starting their own business. Uh, What's the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah, well, it's true. I left a very safe corporate job, um, you know, and I had uh, uh, golden hair care share allocations. It was a big decision uh, to leave <laughs> uh, that job. Um, and I must admit, we felt pretty clever when COVID kicked in, to be honest, because, uh, you know, our, our business model suited to the, the arrangement or the working arrangement that COVID created. Right. Um, so, yeah, I've, there's been a couple of false starts. Uh, you know, there's no doubt about it. I, I I went out and I thought that, you know, I wanted to be in the C-level roles. I thought that I wanted to, to you know, be on boards and, and, and that was what was going to drive me and, I, and that was my, in my mantra and, um, you, know, you know, took off on a couple of different directions that, that didn't work out at all. Um, but as you stand here today, you're saying, well, actually, this, they were all for a reason and, yeah. and that was part of the journey yeah. um, because we're, like, we're super happy with what we're doing today um, and, you know, we've got a great business and it's growing at a really, really rapid rate. 
Um, what are the what are the the goods the goods are, the bads are uh, uh, you know obviously get, dipping into your savings and investing in 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 the development of the product, um, making mistakes along the way, overstaffing, not getting your staffing right. Uh, you know I think everybody's had a part to do with that. Uh, you know and and you know certainly realizing how to run leaner and meaner. Um, you know, getting the timings right on on when to grow and when to bring in the right implementation and systems at the right time, given you know the business is in a position. Um, and and the good is that I'm totally in control of what I do, and I get to define you know and design exactly how I want this to to, to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something I've really wanted to do. I'm not beholden to anybody, um, you know. And we work with some really great suppliers. I I, I get to um, uh, talk to people all over the country uh, about really interesting subjects all the time. And um, and you know we're really excited about the, the future that we've set ourselves, and we're hitting our targets. And I suppose that's that's a really big plus. Uh, for, for oh, that's good. Well, uh, well, let's come back to all of that. Before we move on, I think you said uh, you had all the golden hair care products. And I was thinking, I don't think you or I need hair care products, Mick. Uh, so uh, obviously you didn't need those. <laughs> no, no, I had the golden handcuffs. Yes, the golden handcuffs. I was committed in, in, to the business in the sense of um, upcoming share allocations sure. uh, for two years. And I walked away from them in, you know, um, you know in a desire to, to, to start a new journey. Yeah, great. All right, fantastic. Well, let's uh, let's sort of you know, people who listen to this podcast love to hear the stories of those uh, that have walked the path before them, and uh, and so why don't we go right back to where it all began and tell us uh, a little bit about where you were born and mum and dad, brothers and sisters, and and let's see how the conversation unfolds from there. Okay, born and bred in Brisbane, still in Brisbane. Um, uh, my dad's been married a few times, and I'm I'm from the first iteration, right? And I have. Uh, um, two brothers and two sisters there's two other brothers from the second iteration and two half sisters from the third iteration oh, yeah. um, so our, our family get togethers are always fairly interesting as you'd probably understand everyone um, gets on well yeah we do yeah no uh, we, we've got a great family environment and, and um, you know we all descend upon I, I live across the road from my house on acreage and right. uh, across the road from my dad's house should I say uh, and um, everyone descends on the two properties, and it's a madhouse for, for the Christmas period. And yeah, we all get on very well. Oh, that's great. Okay, so uh, uh, so what sort of business were, or what kind of work did your mum and dad do? Dad was a solicitor. Uh, mm-hmm. He um, went through different firms. Um, there was one called Carter and Bowden, and with the Bowdens. Uh, he then went into Bowden Capital Waters and Ward. And then he started up, uh, I think it's called CN Lawyers now, but it was Carter Newell Lawyers with Michael Newell. Oh, yeah, and, I know um, that brand. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he took it up to, if I understand right, the second largest legal practice practice in Australia, uh-huh. um, you know, from two guys. I remember walking in to uh, this penthouse, uh, you know, mezzanine at the Eagle Street, and I said to Dad, what are you going to do with this? It, it was him on a milk crate. Uh, sitting on a computer, and he said, "I'm going to fill it," and he did exactly that. There was, I think, 1,100 staff in the end. Uh, he was, had a very successful career. Okay, so Dad's a solicitor, and uh, and you know, as you say, uh, interesting sort of um, these kind of new hybrid families and so on. And when you were a, a kid and going to high school, what were you thinking that you wanted to be when you grew up? We had a really high performance family, and I was the, the youngest, of the top four. My sister was ducks. Um, my brother got top marks, went in to do law. My sister went to do law. My other sister was doing <laughs> architecture. Uh, you know, and I, I was a bit of the black sheep of the family, really. And, and the honest thing was I really didn't know. 
Mm. Um, and, and, you know, if I was being honest, there, there, there was some tumultuous times. My mum was unwell and whatnot, and I took my focus off school. Mm-hmm. And I didn't return the results that certainly the rest of my family had. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got good enough results to go and attend uh, Griffith University. Yeah. But I had a family full of Queensland University, and I, and I think I felt a bit ashamed about that. And I, um, and I, I didn't uh, actually go to uni at all. And I deferred uh, for a period of time to think about it. Dad right. was very displeased. Yeah. Having gone to a private school, he was expecting better from me. Yeah. Um, but I deferred and I never returned to uni at all. Uh, wow. I went on with the, the rest of my life. Your, your story is so similar to mine because I went to Brisbane Grammar like you. I graduated the year before you. And uh, I had these grand aspirations of being a rock and roll star. So I started at Griffith University. uh, (laughs) And then in my first year, I failed eight subjects because I was just playing in dirty rock bands and chasing girls. And uh, and then I dropped out and I didn't return back to my uni degree for six years. So uh, uh, I eventually went back. But obviously, you didn't decide to. So so what did you do instead? Well, I went out and I actually, first thing I did was I got a job building fences, uh, mostly for what's called Sequeb back then, the Energex today, uh, yeah. uh, and, and Housing Commission Homes. So okay. it was a really uh, amazing experience. So I think really for me, probably grounding for the rest of my career, once you've done that for a while, you realise um, that everything, every other sort of work function looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I worked hard and I... And I I got to understand a whole different level of the world. I mean, working in housing commission areas mm-hmm. as a guy that came from a middle-class house at private school, uh, working in middle in, in these sort of areas, you know, was a real eye-opener. Um, and, and certainly I went on from building fences as a labourer to building my own business right. and building fences. Yeah. Um, and that then extended into sort of landscaping. And okay. I did the broader landscaping, pergolas, paving, retaining walls, uh, and that sort of stuff. But ultimately, self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, went and got my QBCC license, I qualified to to get that, and and then obviously continued that for uh, quite a few years. Right. And then, uh, at what point uh, did you decide to move into a you know a corporate professional role? Well, at the point of the birth of my first child, I mean, this is from eighteen to twenty-eight. I did that, and right. What I, I was pretty good landscaper, but I was a really poor businessman. Uh-huh. And, you know, the business was not really, you know, it, it just, I, I just didn't have the acumen for it. I didn't um, value a dollar, uh, you know, as well as I should have, uh, you know. And, you know, this, my first child arrived and I said to myself, I've actually got to change. I've got to actually start taking this a bit seriously, you know. Mm. I was week to week. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I, one day I'd say, I don't want to work today and I'd turn it off. And, you know, it, it just wasn't a commitment. But when my boy arrived, I went, I've, I've got to change. And I actually moved into real estate mm-hmm. um, and started uh, selling uh, real estate. And, you know, because when you're 28 and you've got no other skills other than building a fence and a retaining wall, there's not a lot of options for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but sales seemed to be something that, that was calling. And I really enjoyed the real estate period and I became very good at it. Mm-hmm. And then you moved into the telco space. Yeah, I got headhunted in that job. A, a guy said to me, look, I really like working with you. You're enjoying your work. And, and, and it was actually the birth of my second child right. um, where I was reconsidering, you know, the work I was doing because when you get really good at real estate, mm-hmm. you know, and you're running 15 properties and, and, and managing 15 properties, uh, you know, and selling them, you're always running a contract. Mm-hmm. You never get a day off. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, real estate can get into your blood and I love the work. But, you know, I had these two young children and I wasn't seeing them. 
Mm. And, you know, like I'd put the message out to the universe, this guy turned up and said, how about you come and work in telco? Mm. And this was back when mobile phones were just becoming a brand new thing and, and were sort of a highly appealing, you know, sort of a technology. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, that is the one thing about the real estate space is having to do open homes on weekends and be available to negotiate contracts outside of hours and so on. It's a massive commitment and I really take my hat off to people who make a career out of that. So uh, you went and worked for Hutchinson. Uh, or Hutchison, I should say, and uh, had some time there. And then you went and worked for Optus. And uh, so talk us through, you know, uh, your period of sitting in the telco space. Yeah, so at Hutchison, I learned the skills associated with B2B selling. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's very different to real estate selling. Um, you know, a lot of the inquiries inbound in real estate. And when you're in B2B selling, it's all outbound. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was able to be successful in my roles and was offered opportunities to then start leading teams. And um, I got promoted to us uh, through Hutchison down to a team in Sydney. It was the worst performing team in the country out of 18. And in 18 months, we were the number one team and we were breaking all records. And I really enjoyed the, the you know, working with the team and managing and mentoring the team to success. And, and I found um, that I, I was able to do that really well. And, and, and I really enjoyed that part of it. That became, it wasn't the selling anymore. It was about getting the best out of people that became mm -hmm. my focus. Mm -hmm. um, again, got headhunted to Optus to do exactly the same. Like headhunters. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, I, actually, I wanted to go back to Brisbane um, from Sydney. My son was going to go to school by this stage. We'd done yeah. a few years down in Sydney and my son was going to go to school and I didn't want to do that in Sydney. I wanted to go back right. to Brisbane. Hutchison closed down their Brisbane office. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but at the same time, someone said, hey, you should come and work for Optus. Mm -hmm. We think you do a great job here. Um, and my team, again, uh, Brisbane North, we became the number one in the country. Uh, and we set some amazing sales records. So they made me a state manager of, uh, of Queensland, New South Wales and ACT. Um, and, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to win the absolute top gong at Optus called the number one club. Um, they only take 30 people out of 10,000 every year. Uh, it's an extraordinary honour to get it. And the trip they take you on is, is mind-bogglingly uh, brilliant. Uh, my trip was to Mauritius. Mm -hmm. um, and it was 14 days of just, you know, amazing times. Um, you know, uh, one of the most amazing things, they, they actually sponsored the race day at Mauritius, which is their biggest day in the sporting calendar. And all the billboards had our names on it. And all the uh, attendees were wearing Optus shirts, albeit that Optus doesn't mean anything in Mauritius. So, yeah, it really, and, and so, yeah, we had a great deal of success at Optus mm -hmm. um, and, and really enjoyed it. Um, and then probably made my first career mistake and, and, and my dad was counselling me against it. He said, you've got a great job, you're doing good things there, why would you do that? Uh, and I went and started, a, a work, started working with a startup mm -hmm. that, believe it or not, made water from air. Right. So this is pre-NAVMAN? Pre-NAVMAN, yep. Okay, yep. So they made water from air? Yep. Well, I think that that has got, you know, if it works, it's got a lot of upside, hasn't it? Well, yeah, and ultimately, when you look at those old box air conditioners, they used to have the little drains running down and the liquid, right? It's that water that you're creating because it condenses. The, the challenge, of course, is cleansing the water. And this thing went through five stages of purification and came out and we got it tested by NADA and it was beautifully clean and balanced. It was not mm -hmm. harsh water. But if you run water through... 
uh, charcoal filters, it can strip out everything, the chlorine, but also the mineral. And it gets very hard, and that's very hard for the body as well. So this is a beautifully balanced water. Um, and I actually think that the water from air component of what we did became less important in my time there. Um, it actually um, was the fact that the water was so balanced and that it had some enormous health benefits. I'd have to have a long conversation about what PI water, PI water is. Right. You know, that but um oh, there was some amazing stuff that i discovered during that period right so it sounds like that is you know i mean obviously that was unsuccessful the fact that you left but i mean it, it sounds as though there's quite a you know a, a strong theme there that's carried into your new work about new technologies that are good for the planet and good for you and so on so did that kind of experience uh uh light that wick for you you know, I've thought about this. I have so many times I've started with technology right at its infancy. And, and, and if you look back, you might say, gee, this guy's a genius. He's really got on at the right time and, and gone for the ride. And, and the reality is that is not the case. I've been fortunate. I've been headhunted into the roles. Um, but it's certainly the case today where my business, that's specifically the focus because I enjoy working those technologies that, mm. that, that solve unique problems in specific ways mm. and I now hunt and seek them out. Mm. Um, but you know, if I had to, if someone asked me, oh, gee, you, you're really clever at you know, jumping on the ride of mobile phones or jumping on the ride of GPS tracking or, or jumping on, it wasn't like that at all. Right. It was fine luck, uh, you know, but I learned, and, and the, the beauty for me is, is that, as a non-technical person, I was the right person for those roles because mm-hmm. if you get the technical guff out of the out of the um, you know sales speak mm-hmm. and, and cut to you know the, the heart of the issue, what we're doing for clients, and and I and I was good at that because um, technical people are really bad at selling their own product, mm-hmm. and so you know at the, at the, in these technology products where we were doing you know talking to innovators and early adopters, um, you know getting the activity right, understanding who your customer avatar is and targeting that market sector well with the right message was something that I got really good at. Mm. Oh, that, I mean, and that is such a critical element, whether you're selling new technology or you're selling, uh, you know, traditional uh, services. Um, uh, it's, it's still the same process. Understand your market, understand what they need. Uh, and certainly in the time that I've known you and you're so passionate about sales and about marketing and so on, you know, that's clearly evident. And so NAVMAN, and then what I suppose I'm interested in is then you moved into your first CEO role. And uh, and so when, when did it sort of come in on your radar? When did you start to think, I'd actually like to run a business um, and have that ultimate responsibility? Yeah, at NAVMAN, when I got into the director of channel role, I was given a, a level of autonomy for a while. And that was because we were so successful in Australia. So we were we were well over the 50% mark of the global revenue out of 14 regions. And the other regions were small regions like China, North America, South America, and UK, right? So we, we were a very successful area. And, and I got to really um, look at strategy, create a strategy, apply the strategy, watch some work, watch some um, not work. And, and I really enjoyed that. And then things changed and, and I wasn't given the same autonomy. Um, you know, I, I can't explain to you why. I felt like, you know, we're doing a really good job. Just let me keep doing it. And I was quite frustrated by that. And so I think somewhere in the last couple of years in Airbnb, I thought, you know what, it'd be really great to go and run a business right from the top mm-hmm. and to be able to influence culturally 
you know, uh, and, and st strategically where this business goes. I mean, we had a brilliant culture at NAVMAN. Um, mm. the, many of the, the people that I work with NAVMAN are still my friends to this day. It was like a family. Um, I mean, I remember one of the American uh, people coming to our, our conference in, in, in Malaysia, Langkawi, Malaysia, and he said, it's like a cult, you blokes, that you've created here, you know. And, and, and we love that, you know, um, and I still talk to, to them. I was just on the phone one just before all the time. And so I thought, yeah, I'd love to be able to do that for a company, you know, myself and that I've got equity in um, that I can, you know, that, and I can influence from, from, you know, the top to bottom strategically mm. and culturally to be a high performer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, CEO is 33, uh, 34, I beg your pardon. Uh, not a particularly lengthy period of employment. And then a COO with red eye, you know, fairly similar. And so really it's at this time that you're starting to get the full on entrepreneurial bug. Yeah, yeah. Um, with 34, there were, you know, some corporate governance stuff that I, I felt that we weren't addressing. So I, I felt that we had to address them or, or, you know, I didn't want to be a director listed on ASIC. Um, and so, and, and Red Eye really, I mean, it popped up as a, as a role for me as I, as I was exiting 34. Uh, and, you know, um, it was the right role at the right time. Um, but, you know, 30, like all startup companies, um, certainly the CEO at 34, and you and I discussed this specifically, I said, uh, the CEO at Red Eye, saw the way we should approach differently. And you and I discussed that at, the, at our breakfast. And, um, and, and so, you know, it became obvious to both of us that that wasn't the right fit. And I then reverted back to something I'd think about doing before I decided to go down the C-level C role, which was to, to go and consult on, on go-to-market strategies because mm -hmm. I, I, I delivered so many and they'd been so successful in so many ways. I thought, well, surely that could add value to others. Um, and certainly you see... Uh, the way that some companies, uh, uh, you know, approach their go-to-market strategy, you see some woeful attempts and, they, and, and they're sort of surprised at, at why they're not successful when from where I said it looks pretty obvious. So I went and did some consultancy for a year. I really enjoyed that, working with trade companies, accountants, um, working with uh, online uh, parts companies. Uh, yeah, there's a whole range of different roles. Mm. And, 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 and I found it really interesting to see you know, to work out the strategies of how to be successful for those companies, how to grow those companies mm -hmm. uh, as a consultant, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you're always having to prove yourself and, and provide value day in, day out. And I like that uh, edginess about mm -hmm. the consulting world. And uh, I remember going and seeing you give a couple of uh, uh, keynote uh, addresses around sales and around the things you already spoken about at the time, and you did a fantastic job. You're obviously, you know, very passionate about doing that too. Yeah, I love the public speaking. That's... That's a real passion of mine. Um, mm. I mean, if you'd asked the 17-year-old Michael Carter, that, you know, you'll end up loving public speaking, he would have laughed at you because I was terrified of it. But I, I absolutely love it. And, and I love today to talk mostly on the subjects of our personal motivation, uh, vision-focused vision mindset, uh, the importance of, of, of personal meaning. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a real uh, miss in, in society. You ask a lot of people about what they want from, from their life and mm. They'll say, gee, that's a big question and, oh, I'm not sure. And, mm. you know, I'm thinking back in the back of my head, gee, you're 55, you better work it out soon. <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, I, I really uh, found that. And, in fact, you know, at your sessions um, that we did, you know, I was reminded of that. Yeah. You know, and I remember throwing my arms up at one of those breakfasts and realising that I'd lost my way on that very issue that I'm talking about. Yeah. And that was why I wasn't happy and that's why I wasn't where I wanted to be. And so, you know, obviously... Uh, the public speaking part and mentoring, I, I do that on request 
mostly from old clients, sometimes from referral. Mm -hmm. I'd love to go back and uh, do more of it, but I want to invest my time and energy into the business and achieve yeah. the goals that we set ourselves. And, and maybe in a few years' time, I'll, I'll make that more of my primary uh, uh, function. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, you know, my own personality is I love to chase the shiny new toy and somebody will say, oh, do you want to speak at this or do you want to do that or do you want to start this business or this joint venture and so on? And my habit in the past has been to sort of run towards those things and, you know, forget about, you know, making sure that uh, the home fire is burning. So particularly, you know, for you and I, uh, I think keeping your attention, your focus on your business to just get it sustainable and successful and so on is, uh, is very important. And, and the other comment I'd make is, you know, the old saying plumbers have the worst pipes, right? And, it, you know, so many people involved in the coaching space or the, the speaking spaces, and they're talking about these topics and they're so inspiring and you go, well, are they doing it in their actual life? No. Nah. <laughs> and uh, I'm the first person to put my hand up and say that often it's do as I say, not as I do. But uh, uh, that's, it's, uh, it's good to have the humility to see that within ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it is interesting. I think, you know, about that sometimes when I am not living by my own value set, I've actually got my values and, and some, some cryptic things in front of where I do my workout work and skipping. And right. they remind me every day. And sometimes I'm doing it and I'm looking at them thinking, gee, you're a mile away, buddy. Uh, <laughs> But you know, you you know, I think that if you haven't set them and, and you haven't got them lined up, you're going you're no chance of getting them. And I think the key issue is that a lot of people don't know what they are. Um, I know mine aren't, uh, you know, and 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 I um, vacillate between going very well against them or very poorly. Mm -hmm. But you know, I feel that the issue is for a lot of people is they don't know what they are, and that's a really hard because it's a big subject. You know, you've got to think about your life and where I want to be, and 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 you know, I, I mean, I could get into the whole discussion about your mind and your brain and you and and what that means, and you know that discussion better than anyone, uh, Richard. And so you know, um, you know, for a lot of people, they are. Uh, beholden to their mind, which is reflective of, of their experience and their mm. past behaviours, so they, they repeat them, uh, where, you know, you are not your mind and you don't have to do what your mind says. Your mind says, stay in bed, don't do the exercise this week, you know, but you want to do the exercise, you know. Yeah, you, know so, you know, so there's that battle that goes mm. on there. And, and, you know, your mind doesn't want you to think about the future because it, the mind is only comfortable by living through the past experience mm. and looks backwards. And so it's not an easy process. Uh, you know, and I read in a, in a, in a book which and it really stuck with me that, you know, you've got three levels of change to make. You've got the psychological one, like, which is the, the, the mind. Then you've got the neurological one, the changing of the neural pathways in your brain. And then you've got the chemical one. You get addicted to your current position. So if you're a really angry or stressful person, in a really awful way, you get addicted to that chemical position. You get addicted to the cortisol. And so changing that is really hard because you've got these three levels that you've got to actually fight mm. with it. And so mm. focusing on the future is, is a big part of that, that's for sure. Yeah, it, 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 as you're talking, it just reminds me of, you know, this weird thing people say, I changed my mind. And you say, well, who's the I that changed your mind? <laughs> right? And yeah. who's, uh, who's the I that owns the mind? Because people think they are their mind. Yeah. Right? They completely, right. Yeah, they identify with this mind that's constantly chattering and talking all sorts of crap and occasionally some good things and they think that's who i am but that's not who you are no i mean your mind's useful for remembering how to drive a car you mm. know that sort of stuff that's where it's very useful because i don't have to relearn that every time mm. um but it's very unuseful when you're talking about you know where i want to go and how i want to feel and the man mm. i want to be or the person i want to be uh you know you know especially if it's limiting you with your past mistakes 
you know, and that victim mentality. And I, and I know all about a victim mentality. From 18 to 28, I was a complete victim. Mm. Everybody owed me something, uh, you know, and it wasn't until my son came, we talked about before, that I realised that actually I had a job to do and I needed to look after him. But mm. then I realised a bit longer on that I had another job to do and that's look after me mm. and, and realise what it is that I want. And, uh, you know, once that, that, that mindset, that, that, once I got that in my head, that was so empowering that I'm not my mind. I don't have to listen to that. I don't have mm. to listen to you're not good enough or you can't achieve or whatever. I can block that. And all I need to do is focus on where I want to be and what I'm trying to achieve and the person and the value set that I carry with that. Mm. And, 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 you know, the mind wins and I vacillate, like I say, but I think if you're moving 51% in the right direction, you're moving in the right direction, mm-hmm. albeit slowly. And the focus you get, you can increase that speed to 75, 80, 90%. You'll get there quicker and, and faster and straighter, you know, sort of thing. So, you know, for a lot of people, they're moving backwards. They're, they're, they're always, you know, coming from behind in that sense and, and because they don't know what it is they're trying to achieve anyway, mm. uh, you know, and, and, and how they're going to achieve it. Mm. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and uh, I think that, you know, landfills are filled with tons and tons and tons of self-help personal development books that people have bought over the years whether it's Wayne Dyer or, you know, uh, what's his name, Tim Ferriss or whoever it is. And you think, man, by the, there are so many books about this stuff. Everybody surely should have their shit together by now, right? And yet I think the more people read that, the further they get away from the truth. But anyway, we can talk about that for hours. Let's Good. talk about Beyond Clarity, right? So yep. what's what I'm interested in is, I mean, you've essentially taken almost a portfolio approach and you've said, okay, I have this umbrella sort of consideration, which is, emerging uh, technologies which have got the ability to transform industries and people's lives and the environment and so on. So how, how did it start? How did you add on these brands as you went? Tell us about a bit, you know, a bit about the brands and so on, um, you know, talk. Okay, so um, when I was consulting, one of the things that I, I happened to me is that on a Thursday night, a client that I might be committed to over a 12 or 15 week period, six month period would ring up and say, we don't need you tomorrow. Mm. Now I can't charge them for the day because I've got an ongoing commitment. And yet it irritated me that my income for that day was then impacted by a late decision because someone's not organized. You know, I can't, I can't backfill that day. You know, there's no one else who needs me tomorrow, you know, and and it really stuck with me. And, you know, my wife said, Hey, don't worry about it. Let's have a long weekend. And I'm like, no, hang on a second. These people just turned off my income stream just like that at seven o'clock on a Thursday night. And so the lure of recurring revenues mm. uh, it took me back. And because I've been in that game for many years, uh, it came me back. And, and to be honest, we were talking about it. And I said, we've really got to look at some products that, that have a recurring revenue where we can, uh, you know, obviously provide the level of service that we want to our clients and, and that we know that, you know, we're getting a surety, you know, financial surety in the business. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. 10 minutes later, a phone rang from a wild business relationship and he said, hey, listen, I've got this product I'd like you to sell and I'd like to give you the Queensland agency. And I said, has it got a recurring revenue? He said, yes. I said, great. And, uh, and it was about a subject I knew, knew a lot about given my days at Teletrack Navman about mm-hmm. fatigue management. Uh, and that product was seeing machines, Guardian by seeing machines. And I, my eyes rolled. I'd seen a lot of products in the fatigue space. Uh, products that you put on your head and your glasses, wearables, things on steering wheels, reaction time sensors. We, we, we had looked at them as a company many times to see if we could fix that problem for our transport customers. Mm. Um, and as soon as I saw seeing machines, I, I said, that'll work. That, that's a great technology. That'll work. I mean, one of the, the big problems when you talk about hats and glasses and wearables is you're asking the driver to do something, put on a hat, 
put on the glasses before you drive, right? That's going to give you 75%. We found in our testing, in our trials, that was 75% of the failure point. Right. That, you, that you're involved with. with seeing machines. It's a, it's a known generically as a driving monitoring system. It was, uh, it's a great Australian product developed here at the Australian National University in Canberra, um, at the Sleep Sciences Division. They they spun it out uh, and created a business which is now global. Um, you can uh, buy their their shares on the on the London Stock Exchange, and and they are flying at the moment, and they should be because they're doing some really amazing stuff. Um, so seeing machines is a, is a driver-facing camera that uh, looks at the, the eyes and the face. And if the person starts to fatigue, uh, it will vibrate the seat to, to wake that, that, that driver up. Mm-hmm. Um, if the person's distracted, looking around, potentially at their mobile phone, it will give them an alarm to do that. It takes a video of that event. Those videos are reviewed in two call centres, one in Tucson, Arizona, one in Canberra. And uh, they, if there's true fatigue being done, that company will call the company and say, this driver's in trouble. You might want to intervene before he, he crashes the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, the, the fact that the camera was mounted and the driver didn't have to do anything was one of the things that I saw was a really good part of it. And he just needed to drive the truck and it uses AI and machine learning to lock on the face. Mm-hmm. The eyes go down, the seat vibrates, and, and the driver was given a really important piece of information, which, which was you were micro-sleeping while driving a truck at 100 k's. Right. And uh, that sounds amazing. And yet, it, you know, without understanding it all, uh, if they've got people watching this stuff and ringing up and saying, hey, you need to intervene and so on, I imagine it's a pretty big investment, but I'm guessing it, you know, it's that there is some, you know, strong price drivers as to why people would choose to do this. Yeah, well, in my time, then I had a bit to do with the transport industry because of the GPS tracking space. In my time, I have never seen a technology that has regulatory, academic, insurance and industry support like this technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, we, you know, the insurance companies will provide policy benefits and potentially premium benefits. It, it depends on your history uh, for, for transport operators to put it in. When I say the industry, it's one particular insurer, NTI, mm-hmm. at the moment, very progressive of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, if, if you do roll over a truck, and there is an incident. There's an enormous cost to that. I sure. mean, some of these trailers can cost a million dollars on their own, let alone the, tr- the prime mover. Yeah. And then the lost operational thing, the the damage to your brand, the damage to your safety record, lost contracts. Mm-hmm. The, the numbers are very, very big in this space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But we don't just fit trucks. We fit um, uh, light vehicles uh, in the oil and gas industry, in the construction industry, remote facilities management, because fatigue is a considerable problem. Um, in the transport industry, even worse, because sleep apnea is very common mm-hmm. and so uh, you know through our technology I reckon I can normally pick, pick drivers who have sleep apnea because mm-hmm. they're so above the norm mm-hmm. um, so you know this technology makes the road safer you know if I could show you the videos I can't I've seen and I can't because the GDPR you would just just shake your head um, right, you know right. and the amount of my clients that have said to me so why isn't this law so tell me about why this isn't law. And, and, and I said, we're working on it. Now, mm-hmm. we've met with NHVR. We've had conversations with them. I met with Senator Glenn Stirl. I met with Senator Susan McDonald. We made a submission to the Rural and Regional Affairs Transport Inquiry. Um, you know, we, we need to integrate this technology into the way that fatigue is managed in this country. Uh, we need to do it very, very quickly because the longer we take, the more lives are cost and, uh, mm-hmm. lost. Okay. So... Uh... Your mate brings you up and says, I've got this product, the uh, beauty, and that's number one. So what what's number two and how did that one come into into the uh, the scheme of things? 
Well, you know, I love seeing machines and, and it was a great product. Um, it was sort of probably at the innovator early adopter stage. So, you know, you've got to do a lot of activity to, to find those guys, particularly in a transport industry, which can be a bit technology shy sometimes. So, and, but I was also paranoid with it. You know, what if the, the price of oil goes up to $150 a barrel, $200 a barrel? You know, the, the transport industry won't be able to pay the fuel bills, let alone buy technology. Right. And so I was paranoid about that, 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 that you know, you know, we'll have a war or something and, and there'll be an oil price. So I wanted to uh, look at another product um, and one that, that worked well with it, and that was uh, Geotab. And Geotab is in the uh, GPS tracking space. Um, and, and to be honest, when my clients kept asking me, why don't you do tracking? Why can't we work with you on that as well? And I, I went back there. I had 10 years, just shy of 10 years in, in GPS tracking, and I, I really, really went back reluctantly. Mm. But the unique part, I mean, GeoTab are a global entity. They're the biggest of the kind in the world, three or four times bigger than the others. Um, but the thing that is unique with them is they have a, a, a tool in their software called the Electric Vehicle Suitability Assessment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, you know, this is an emerging market in Australia, this, this EV market, 0.6% of sales uh, in 2020. So it's, it's really early days, but it's coming in a really fast way and it's really surprising. Mm. So this tool helps you build the business case for converting um, your existing fleet across to, to EV. And it manages things like range anxiety. I'm worried I'll run out of power. You know, it talks, it looks at the usage data off the vehicles in your fleet. And then it uses that fuel burn data and usage data and driver behavioral data to assess which of the vehicles could go potentially to an EV today, given the, the range of vehicles for sale in Australia. Mm-hmm. And we've got a, a, a limited range in Australia. I think it's 28, and that includes hybrid, plug-in hybrid and full battery electric uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, but there's a lot more than that in the world. Um, I'm sure we're a small market and I'm sure, um, you know, what we're hearing in the media wouldn't enthuse uh, car manufacturers about who are producing EVs to come to Australia. Mm-hmm. No incentives. Let's put a tax on it. You know, you know that sort of thing. So, you know, um, and the interesting thing is when people talk to me about EV, that it's a really passionate subject around mm. electric vehicles you know oh but you're going to put dirty coal power into the battery well not necessarily i could have solar at my home and mm-hmm. put that straight into my car now i've got a car that is running at zero emissions and it costs me nothing to run from an energy perspective right mm-hmm. and 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 i think that the, the electric vehicle market will actually explode on the basis that the vehicles are far better to drive they are uh, so much more responsive and so much more power mm-hmm. uh, and then secondly that they'll be cheaper to run and yeah. the, uh, the life cycle of a five-year period of ownership of a vehicle. Mm-hmm. That'll drive it, I think, more than the net zero emissions that are coming out of it, uh, funnily enough. But, you know, when you look at what Australia's got to do, 20, I, th- I believe it's 22% of carbon in the world has currently got a price on it, right? So there's carbon prices are happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, in talking to some sustainability consultants about this subject, and I'm certainly not the expert, but uh, talking to them about it, they have said that, you know, um, if a, the minimum standard carbon price came to Australia, many organisations would, st- rem- would struggle to be profitable, right? And I always make the joke that all we need is some soccer-sized hail, hailstones, a, a couple of extra floods and a few more bushfires, and we'll have a, pro- we'll have a, a carbon uh, a price here in this country uh, fairly soon. And so as a CEO and, a, and, a, and as a, an executive in the company, you've now got to be thinking about well, what am I going to do about reducing my carbon emissions and, mm-hmm. and so that I avoid that price. Mm-hmm. And, and, and during this journey, I found out about the TCFD, 
which is the Climate Change Financial Disclosure, which all ASX-listed companies uh, have a responsibility to report on. And what it says in the thing is that you say, how is climate change impacting on me, right? It, today is my business. Like, if I'm a farmer, it's obvious, floods and that sort of stuff. But there's some less obvious things, uh, like banks, for example, need to consider when to stop lending money for petrol and diesel vehicles because the EV market will take over. So the second-hand market for, for petrol and diesel will collapse, yeah. and so the asset won't be worth anything, and that's a mm. dangerous lending position. Isn't mm. right? that's, that's an unintended consequence. It's several layers down. Mm-hmm. The second one is... How am I impacting on climate change? The third one is, how am I measuring that? And the fourth one is, what am I doing about it? And we work in that space. We help clients measure uh, and mitigate that by, by this tool, uh, which does the electric vehicle suitability assessment. So it's, it's a really interesting subject. It's coming extremely quickly. We've got uh, a heap of councils already on our books, um, and they are looking at you know, how they uh, integrate EV infrastructure. Um, some regional councils are seeing it as a necessity to draw to, to be uh, a destination of choice. I want to drive there. I want to charge my car and I want to go and spend some money dining or retailing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of the regional places that we're working with that mentioned that to me really surprised me. Really right. remote places are thinking okay. that like that, you know. And so, Mick, um, Mick, just being, you know, uh, uh, focused on time and not wanting to take up too much of your time. You know, I can see that there's quite a holistic sort of uh, synergistic relationship between the businesses you've mentioned so far. So so um, you've obviously got a couple more. Uh, if you want to briefly mention those, and, and then what I'm interested in is how do you juggle and keep, you know, these many balls, which you're obviously all exciting, all have huge potential. There's only one Mick Carter. You know, how do you do it? So the the, two, the other products are Whip Around, which is a uh, vehicle pre-start defect resolution process, and it integrates with GeoTap. Um, and we were requested from that from many clients, and it's it's got uh, it's a New Zealand-based product which went to the US mainly. They don't, haven't really had a presence here in Australia. They've got 100,000 users, up to come up to 100,000 users over in the US, and they meet the very stringent US standards. It's the best of its kind that I've ever seen. And I, mm-hmm. because of my telematics background, I, I had, a, had a good view of that. Uh, we're having a lot of success there. Um, uh, we've also got a, a data aggregation product. Um, and data aggregation um, uh, is the first step in my mind for companies looking to digitally transform. Mm-hmm. So you connect your different systems to a, to a centralised platform and then you can make the data flow between those systems. You can then pull data and extract data and report on it in different ways. So data aggregation platforms have a very important part to play. We promote that product and give it to our seeing machine customers for free. So mm-hmm. it's there. And then we talk to them and say, well, you already get your seeing machines reporting there. What about we, what about we do other things with this product? And, and there's enormous interest in the market for that. Um, and then... Uh, there's uh, the realware, which is uh, uh, you know augmented reality in the sense of someone can dial into to my glasses and to what I'm seeing. I can hear them. They can actually instruct me. I can see them showing me where to touch what wire to pull. You know, right. uh, you know, and with COVID. Um, this was a brilliant product. And, mm-hmm. you know, for example, there's a, there's a company who's in pulping uh, and um, uh, the German guys couldn't come over to repair their machines. Mm-hmm. And these pulping things actually have to keep going. So they bought these headsets so the experts could dial in and instruct them to on the maintenance point. And, you know, you, the ROI on, on a real wear a headset is enormous. I mean, you could have one expert and 10 juniors and still get a lot of work done across a very broad region. Um, so really exciting product. 
I, I don't think I'd want open heart surgery done like that. But uh, but uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, the blue wire, red wire, maybe. <laughs> and so, um, how do you, you know, how do you maintain it? I mean, it sounds a bit like Elon Musk, right? You know, he's got Tesla and he's got his Planet X or whatever it's called, and he's got a uh, his tunnel transport systems under the ground, and he's got his Neuralink and so on. I mean, all massive opportunities all no doubt pulling you in a million different directions at once how do you how do you keep the right focus to make sure that everything's getting the right attention at the right time yeah i think the two i have two lead products which is the first time i met and, and mm-hmm. they are the the, the the lead products and then i take the other products back to those customers as a secondary layer Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is how I do it. I've take I've taken each product on one at one time. I've become uh, I, I, I might sound hubris, but an expert in that product. Uh, and then I've said, yeah, I know that one. I understand that. You know, with seeing machines, I went off and read about fatigue. Um, a great book I recommend to everybody is called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And I read that, and it, it not only teach me a lot about managing my own fatigue, um, taught me a lot about the subject, and I could become a subject matter expert. And I felt like to, I've got a very good understanding of this subject and the technology, and I can now move forward. And then I moved into GeoTab, and I've been just doing it, rolling it out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our, our customer base grows, um, and all the products are all interrelated in one way or another. Um, the customer base all could use all five. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's so. Then for me, it's just a natural progression of a conversation. So right. I lead with two, and I extend to the others from there. Okay, fantastic. Well, that's uh, sounds so exciting for you, Mick. I'm so pleased. So if you now, you know, it's the beginning or almost the beginning of 2021. You're looking out to the future. So you know, are you to pick up another five products this year, or is it a you know what? How how are things going to unfold over perhaps the next? You know, I mean, to go back to your point earlier about being clear about what do you want, you know, what what do you want it to look like in, say, two or three years' time? Yeah, so we, we've got some goals around the recurring revenue that we want to create at a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of the driver behind this was, A, to obviously work for ourselves, B, to work from home, uh, through, C, to not get on a plane again. I was so sick of flying. Um, and, and so, you know, and the financial gains goals around uh removing the last part of the mortgage I have. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to retire at 54. We're on mm-hmm. track for that. Um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and that was the kind of the driver rather than go and just do the safe thing in the corporate world, uh, you know, and, and sort of get there eventually. I, I wanted to do it in a hurry. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and so why do you want to retire at 54 specifically? I mean, you could live to be 120. Yeah, that's a long time to be alive after you've been retired, right? Yeah, and I think the thing I said was uh, the opportunity, the option to retire. I, right. I, I don't see myself retiring at all. No, I don't I, see you retiring either. No. Um, I, I think that you know I'd like to spend more time on the public speaking front, and I'd like mm-hmm. to have revenue to build that brand and do right. more there because I think the subject of vision-focused mindset and personal mm-hmm. meaning is is really important. And and mm-hmm. and I've got a lot of reading behind me that about the brain and how you know that, mm-hmm. that I can share with people in in, in a way that 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 they can understand mm. um, you know and I've done work last week with a, a last a year just back in last year I did one for corporate culture mm. and and you know the, we implemented a range of strategies and I actually met with the owner uh, just uh, last late last week and he was telling me the enormous success from those strategies we implemented mm. and you know I can help that business that's great you know and mm. then so yeah I want to go back to that you no know, I think it's the option to retire um, you know yeah. and 
you know, we, we probably could have done that a couple of years ago and then I went and bought a big big house and a big mortgage again. So I thought, okay, well, let's get rid of that and then, um, you know, and, and make sure that we've got everything right and in place. Uh, and then I'll look at the next thing from there. Yeah, um, fair enough. No more products. Yeah, I think my wife would kill me. Real uh, right. CEO on the business. Um, you know, um, no more products. Uh, a lean and mean team that helped me support my customers beautifully. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and certainly, um, uh, you know, I think, uh, a, a job focus. I mean, uh, where I, I talked about my vision board. One of the things it says on there is three by three. And that means work three days a week and, and travel three, three months a year overseas. Right. Well, COVID's made that a bit harder. And yeah. I, what I wanted to be able to do was run, you know, go to a, a, a villa in, in Tuscany and work from there for three months with someone locally supporting my clients and have the right model set up. And so we're mm-hmm. building all the systems to do that, the mm-hmm. CRM, the processes and everything in the background. And I choose my partners very carefully on that basis, my, the ones I do, because they're very good at supporting me and my customers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've probably been approached for 30 or 40 different products in the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, I, I, the, probably one of the things I value the most is, is how will they support me. Oh, that's excellent. We've uh, talked a lot about business, Mick, and, uh, you know, so tell us, how, you know, what do you do outside of work to keep the fuel tanker uh, full? You've, uh, what are the fun things you do? You, you're obviously very uh, devoted to your family. Yeah, two great kids, um, you know, uh, and they're both 23 and 21. And I dragged one back from the UK to, to avoid COVID, had to get business flight t- tickets for that, for him and his girls, so that didn't miss us, but, uh, and, and, and dragged my other one back from Melbourne at the time. So they were, once that was Melbourne and, and UK, I wasn't enjoying that, but they're both back here and they're both in good health. Uh, yeah, love my kids and, and obviously love the family. Um, uh, I, I, I'm obsessed with my veggie garden. <laughs> um, I, I, I really am. I, I, and I love growing things and, and I, I can now literally walk out to my veggie garden. I've got four separate beds. I want to build a greenhouse right. and I'm even thinking about aquaculture. Wow. Uh, yeah, right. So yeah, I, I, I really enjoy that. And I can go out the backyard and I can pick myself a salad today and, and it's fresh from the garden and I love right. eating that. So I, I, I like the gardening. I don't mow my acreage. Uh, I get someone else to do that, but I like the gardening part of it. Uh, I'm playing golf and I'm terrible, but I, I keep playing. Um, frustrating for me because I was actually good at sport back in the day. Mm. Uh, I can't get this one right, I tell you. And uh, uh, sometimes I, I wonder why I do it. But we're playing a lot, a lot lately. And that was part of our commitment is to right. be able to spend some time doing some. Yeah, work. fantastic. You'll have to shoot me through an email. There's another guy in Champions Forum who uh, is a technology developer and he's developed this technology for people uh, about growing their own veggie gardens. So that could be your sixth project. <laughs> if it's anything like the one I saw, which is a robot, no, and, it's and not it, like that. it puts it over and it plants for you, it weeds for you, and it waters for you. Right. It does all, you just put it, you just put it in the computer and, and load the seeds up and you can come back and you I'm thinking I quite like that actually. Yeah. Oh well that'd take all the fun out of it for you. No, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe when I'm a bit older, maybe that's the good one. It's uh it's very different to that, but I think you'd like it. Um okay, cool. And so Mick, uh, just uh if I can be a little self-serving for a moment. Um I first met you, I can't recall, I think I might have gone to a presentation or you were running a sort of a networking forum or something and then um you came and joined uh Champions Forum, uh, it's sort of previous incarnation for, uh, I don't know, some quite some time and you've had a break and now you've come back. Just wouldn't mind if you just share a little bit about your experience, please. Yeah, I think the first speech you came to was The Brain Rules by John Medina, actually, was, was the one you came to, except if I remember correctly. Right. Um, yeah, so I joined the Champions Forum. You, you approached me there and, and I... Re- I thought it a really valuable experience. Um, there are lessons that I took out of those 
breakfast meetings that I still carry with me today that I repeat mm. to others. Uh, you know, um, the way that they were run, um, myself and Colin, uh, you know, um, some of the insightful feedback. But but watching and, and, and hearing what others were going through and um, the intimate nature of those sessions, uh, I found, um, you know, a really, really interesting and, and, and enlightening for me. Um, in some ways, and you know, uh, how do you say this? Sometimes you feel and you look at other people where that you think, gee, I, I'm, I'm not going too bad. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there, you know, yeah. so somewhat empowering, you know? Um, yeah, that was a great session. And, and joining back into it recently with you, um, just I'm in the middle of a business partnership that came from Vincent, um, which is extremely exciting to me. So that was one of the people uh, on the forums. And so, uh, you know, um, and, and he connected me and I, and I, I, I connected with uh, a second person and that is another excellent opportunity. Don't tell my wife, I, I, I want to sell it, but anyway, um, <laughs> it, it, so, you know, it, it's, 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 yeah, I've already found a lot of value mm. in, in working with them. And I think we've got our next session coming up shortly, which I'm looking forward to. Um, yeah. I, I, I know, And to be honest, I mean, going back to the first, the champions and breakfast. Uh, I um, in good company. That's right. In good company. Yeah. Um, you know that moment when we, you know you know Colin was going and you were going through things, and I realised. I just went the, the, the discussion around the tension yeah. between where you are and where you want to be. Mm. And, and, and I, I can tell you, it's here. That very triangle is here on my board right now, right next right. to me. Um, and uh, you know, it, it really did set the course that I'm on today, that mm. moment. Um, mm. I left the job role I was in. I went down this road and I'm here three years later and I'm ecstatic, you know. Yeah. And, and it was the advice you guys gave us, gave me in that thing. And it was, you know, here I talk about personal meaning and vision, mindset, and, and I've been that person telling others. Mm. I lost mm. my way and I just, and I realised when you, you guys reminded me and I realised like a light bulb on and I walked out of that mm. breakfast and said, right, this is changing. Mm. And I got back looking forward again. Mm. I, I, I remember that exact moment because uh, obviously without getting into the detail of it, because, you know, it's confidential, but, um, you know, that you had like this you aha moment where you realised that you'd been living this pattern for your whole adult life, which was uninspected. And all of a sudden it was like, holy shit, like I'm actually doing that thing. Well, and, it, uh, wasn't, it wasn't the whole adult life. It was... I achieved a personal and professional goal. And what mm. happened was, and, and they were both really long-term goals and they were both really excellent visions mm. and I achieved both of them. And then I didn't reset. And mm. you guys probably said, reset. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah, I, my adult life up until about 30, I was a waste of space. And so, <laughs> sort, of, so, so 40 to sort of 45, I had a real, really good growth period, really good career and financial success and things. Um, and then... I'd lost my way mm. and, and, you know, for that couple of years and, and that's what you reminded me, that I didn't have a new vision, personal mm. or professional, and so I went out and work on that mm. and, well, the outcomes have been sensational. Mm. Oh, that's excellent, Mick. Look, uh, uh, I'll let you get on with you, Dave. It's been a really awesome conversation. Uh, if anybody is interested in uh, reaching out to Mick, uh, we'll share in the share notes or the notes for the podcast his business and his LinkedIn profile and so on. Uh, if, uh, if you're looking for a very entertaining and meaningful speaker, Mick's your guy. And uh, and uh, anyway, Mick, I'll see you in Champions Forum in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, uh, have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks very much, mate. I really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Great stuff. 
Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. If you'd like to accelerate your executive career journey, Richard invites you to join his CEO Incubator community on LinkedIn. Just search for CEO Incubator in LinkedIn groups and click on the Ask to Join button to apply. We'll see you in the community. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.